yeah the picture but then but then you're then you're like superimposed over it or something it's incredible. yeah that's part of this uh this this platform <laughs> lets you do that that's that's one of our first hemp buds out at the farm uh-huh that's a hemp bud from the farm right there and so i just i threw they had at a background there's a little thing you can pop up next to your next right the share thing uh-oh you Okay, audio problem. All right, cool. Audio is working now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 164 of the Growing with Fishes podcast. Um, this week, we're going to do a Q&A, or at least this episode, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A. I know we've had some cool topics we all wanted to bring up. I know Roger's got some great things to share with us this week. He's super excited. We're excited for him on some news he's going to share with us. And... Um, uh, yeah, so um, uh, apologize for not being able to get a guest. You know, not uh, every once in a while we have a date where just we can't, doesn't really work for anyone's schedule. So we do apologize for that. But sometimes they end up being some of the coolest episodes that we've had and some of the best questions and stuff that we've had. And, and we've gotten into cool topics that maybe we don't normally get into in the normal um, set of things. So um, we're going to do that tonight. Um, how's everything going? How you doing there, uh, Roger? I'm doing fantastic. Um, well, I, you know, as all my friends, shout out to all my friends at ILGM. You all know that uh, Will has been in the hospital for a couple of days, but we we're keeping our head up. He called me today and he sounds pretty good. And um, we're hoping to get him home and uh, I'll pass it on. I'll, I'll discuss my news later on, I guess. And I won't go into all that now. Let everybody get introduced, get going. And, and I got I got my friend Ryan from the from the farm here he's usually in the youtube chat so he's got a couple questions for steve tonight then like steve said we always have great shows when it's just us we have a lot of fun because there's no pressure we just kind of shoot the shit and have a great time so welcome to the grown with fishes podcast tuesday in august okay yep Terrible Tuesday. All right. Good evening, guys. I finally got a sound. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Tara. Hi. Okay. How are you? How are you guys? I don't. You guys don't have your screens on. You know that, right? Just so you know. Oh. And I don't. Yeah, I all I see is your name. Oh wait. Jeans and potent. I'm guessing you know that. There you go. I see you. <laughs> Tara, you're so good with the technical stuff. Good evening. <laughs> I just want to see your pretty face. How are you? <laughs> I got a fix. Much though. better now. I didn't realize I'm still using the old splat picture for whatever reason on the with the new live stream. It's all weird. I'll have to fix that. Yeah, I understand, dude. That new live stream is all confusing. So confusing. Yeah, still haven't figured it out. At least we got the audio quality is much better. I was listening to some of the audio ones. It's much more leveled. It has some leveling stuff in it. And I'm really liking it, especially I think we've had some other people sending me emails to saying that they like it better. So, I agree, Steve. I think the audio and I think the video quality is actually better on this, this stream. Good yep. evening, everybody in chat. How's everybody doing out there? Don't forget to have live chat up and not top chat. 
to have the best listening experience <laughs> and viewing. <laughs> How's it going, Mr. Green Jeans? <laughs> really good. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad I could make it today. Looks like a good crew. So I guess we'll get started with Roger. You had some cool things to share. Roger, you're muted. There you go. Was I muted? I'm not on my side. You're good. Yeah, you're good now. Okay, okay. Because we've had some weirdness with that too a couple last couple of weeks where I thought I was muted and then I wasn't, and I, so I don't know. Um, as y'all know, we've been talking about the 300-acre hemp farm out on the islands here. I can't disclose everything like names and stuff like that yet, but uh, my friend Ryan, friend of the podcast and also a, a, a friend of the Regenerative Organic Cannabis Conference uh, who went to the main conference, um, hired me as a consultant to help him out with this farm. And, and the owners of the farm uh, this past week has informed me that my farm's going to be blanketed or umbrellaed under their license. So I'm going to be able to grow on my own land and turn it into a hemp farm. And that is, that, that's pretty much about as cool as I got. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on, but that's really the news. I've, I'm going to be uh, un, under a license uh, working with this company. We've got some, some interesting things we're doing. We've got several hundred plants outdoors already, and we're doing a natural farming in there. And um, shout out to Ryan. He worked real hard while I was out of town, made some compost tea sprayed it on, his, on on the plants out there, and they're just going nuts. So he's been giving them labs and FPJ and different things, but he, he did some compost tea. And, and a shout-out to Jeff Lowenfels. Uh, he copied a recipe out of your team and microbes book for all you out there. There's some re- great compost tea recipes in the team and with microbes book that Jeff put out. And um, so Ryan made a real nice compost tea. Um and uh, it worked out really good. It worked out really good. So we're looking forward to that. When I get back to town, we're going to concentrate on finishing our IMO. or some IMO already started. We're going to get concentrate on finishing that. And then once we get everything done and kind of going and rolling along, um, uh, we're going to invest in a nice sprayer that we can roll between the rows and spray everything instead of you know, we've been doing everything by hand. And uh, then we're going to start building some hugel beds and because we've got several fields. They're all separated by ditch, so we pretty much can do different things and, and try different things in different fields. So we're going to start this out, then we've got a field we're going to put some hugel beds into, and that's going to be pretty cool because it's, it's, it's on the island and, and you've got a forest all the way around it. So we've got all kinds of pine trees and stuff to harvest for the, for the hugel beds. And so that's it. That's, I'm pretty excited about that. And again, a shout out to Will. I'm glad you made it through your stroke, buddy, and, uh, and I, I hope to see you tomorrow. And uh, you take care and do that therapy the way your doctors tell you to do it. So I guess I can pass it on. And unless Ryan's asking his question already, we can see what anybody else is up to. And But thanks, Steve, for letting me share that with everybody right off the bat. Cool. And thanks, Steve, because I probably wouldn't have met Ryan if I wasn't on the panel. So There you go. Uh, how's it going, then, Mr. Eugene? What's going on with your garden, man? Uh, just watching plants grow um <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> this is that time of year yeah uh tell everybody to water a lot oh my god everybody needs a lot of water don't they uh yeah it, it, this, this is a really interesting year for me because i got a lot of 
cherry bomb plants in the ground out here. And it's the first time uh, I've, you know, that I've grown any cherry bomb here in Southern California since 1999, I think was the last time I, I had plants in the ground. And so that's quite a while ago, isn't it? That's like 20 years ago. Wow, really? (laughs) It's been that long? Yeah, since I've grown one particular strain, yes, in the ground. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so they, when I, when I had them outdoors uh, last time in 99, I had some really large plants. I didn't expect them to get that big and I wasn't really prepared. You know, I probably didn't give them enough water. (laughs) That's my thing, huh? Water. Uh, And, you know, but I did get, uh, I got one plant that was, I think around five, five and a half pounds. This was in San Juan Capistrano in 1999. And a couple of the plants that up here in, in Pedro, uh, they look, they're looking like they might possibly be in that range, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool and very interesting. And some, some of the plants are just beginning to start to show pistols right now, just, just starting to show flowers, which is, really quite late, um, especially, you know, down here, we, we have a kind of a short day length, you know, some of our, some genetics that works really well up north doesn't work too well down here. It works, you know, uh, I, some plants I could put outside on the longest day on June 21st and they'll start flowering right away. So the fact that the cherry bomb uh, is doing this, it didn't, I, I, you know, I was kind of, I, I was getting to know things back in 99, but I was pretty stupid compared to now. And it didn't seem all that amazing or all that special. But now I realize that here at 33 degrees latitude or whatever we are, uh, to have plants that will, will veg along nice and happily like this and possibly produce large, you know, tree type plants, that's really good. That's a very, uh, that's quite a, that's quite a, quite a gift. So we're, we're pretty stoked. I'm stoked. Hopefully we're going to see some big plants. Yeah. (laughs) That's really all I got to say about that. Whoever made this cherry bomb strain, it was a cool guy. Thank you so much, Mr. Oh yeah, that was me. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Well, I'll have to try and grow it. Too much self-promotion Yeah, I've never grown it. I'll have to try and grow it someday. Very easy. It's very easy. It's very bulletproof. Uh, I remember, you know, screwing up things and looking at the grow room and you have four or five different things going on, different strains and everything. Everything's all pissed off. And then the cherry bomb plants are looking fine. They're like, hey, what? It's no problem. I, I didn't get too much nitrogen i didn't have too low ph or whatever it is that pissed everybody else off the cherry bomb's like hey it's fine we love it here so yeah cherry bomb's a great it's a good beginner strain you can you can definitely handle it <laughs> okay i'm Sounds done awesome Don't so what, when uh, have you had all the cannabinoids tested in the cherry bomb and everything no i'm so behind in those ways i really should um i know that uh, a lot of, you know, there's quite a few people growing it around the, all around the world now. I mean, I get, I've gotten pictures from people in Spain and South Africa and stuff. It's, it's really pretty amazing. Um, but uh, pretty, like it was about 10 years ago, I think I sent some seeds up to Oregon to a medical collective up there. 
those guys really, really liked it. And they were saying that they thought it was really a very, uh, a good medical strain. Um, and for various reasons, explaining to me in, in great detail things that I'd never thought of. For example, they said a high ceiling. They said, well, cherry bomb is a, a uh, sort of a, a sativa dominant plant that has a high ceiling, meaning that you can keep on medicating without passing out, <laughs> which is, you know, something that never occurred to me. I mean, I didn't, I certainly didn't breed cherry bomb for that. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, it's, 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 this is one of the, when I started to learn the lessons that I can't, I, you know, not, not to be, not to breed things from my own personal points of view, you know, to that. I really need to listen to what other people say and what their experiences are because consumers, you know, everyone has many, you know, lots of different experiences with cannabis and you mm -hmm. can't, you can't say, oh, mine is right. I can't say, oh, well, I, I know more about, you know, smoking cannabis than you do, Tara. You know, that's ridiculous, right? I mean. <laughs> well, and that, that's just, just like, you know, everybody has different personal preferences, just like vehicles, right? That's why there's all different brands of vehicles. You know, everybody saying. is going to like their certain thing at a certain time, a dab, a certain temperature, no dabs, bubble, hash rosin however it may be right absolutely and and i was really really lucky to start getting that lesson uh, early on in breeding and not to not to think that my ideas my standards my what i wanted to see in breeding was the deal you know so i've been at least for the last 20 years really trying to uh catch up to and, and i don't care if the person's been smoking one week you know i'm gonna listen with with open ears exactly every word they say about their description about what their experience is with it because uh, yeah. you know because the the rankest beginner can teach me so much <laughs> but yeah. at the same time you kind of want to breed or follow what interests you or intrigues you or you're not going to be that into it and and want to want to really work with it right at the same time so there's like a happy medium there that is true yeah and there, and i i, I think and, just sort of overview like standard things like for example the you know a plant plant should be easy to grow they should have high yields they should be uh, resistance against pests and all these kinds of things are just standard things that i think probably all breeders should be paying attention to but to me the of course the the interesting the most interesting thing about cannabis are, you know is the the effects and the the tastes and the flavors and the smells and that's, you know, I think pretty much anybody who gets into breeding cannabis, that's immediately kind of where they're going to go. You know, they're going to start focusing on those things more than, you know, it's, it's nice to get a, uh, it's nice to get a high yielding plant when you get it, but you probably are going to not just look at only that, you know what I mean? You're, you're definitely going to be focusing on your smells and your effects and things like that. And, and then, I, oh, Right. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on the smells and scents because, it's you know, that high is, is great, right? Like I have one that, that it gets me to where I need to get, but I do not like the flavor. Don't like the terpene, the smell of it at all, but it'll get me to where I need to go. But I never stick with it. I always go back to something I like the smell of or the taste of like, that's just, that's me. 
Wow. That's really interesting. I'm going to be thinking about that for a week now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big difference between smoking flour and having rosin. Yeah. Yeah. Rosin's pretty nice. Rosin is pretty nice. It's very, it's close to flour, bubble hash, rosin. They're pretty close. I don't, I'm, I haven't warmed up to a lot of other concentrates that much yet. It's not that they, and, and I have recently been trying more uh, with friends that are staying with me and, and, and frequenting the dispensaries, which I never managed to get to anyway, I guess. So it's great when other people come to me and say, hey, you should, you know, let's try this. And, you know, the, the other kinds of concentrates are definitely getting better. They're definitely uh, improving. They taste a lot better than they did about 10 years ago. Uh, it seems like the the BHO and stuff like that is far better than than it used to be back in the day. Yeah, but rosin, you can't really beat it, can you? Rosin's really fun. Solventless, <laughs> solventless. You cannot beat it. You cannot solventless. beat it. I'm can sorry. You? you just can't. Like, I've had some fire BHOs, but I'm sorry. You still can't beat it. You can't beat it, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, I also really like that, like hash. I mean, I like old, you know, I like old school hash. Old school hash is wonderful for me, but also so are the new, you know, some of the new kinds of bubble. Very fantastic. I haven't tried. We had a guest. Was it Justin? It was a couple of weeks ago who said that a good, good bubble is better than good rosin. And I'm very intrigued about that because so far. A good bubble it, is better than a good rosin. Is that what he said? Yeah. That, yeah, was it was it Justin? I'm trying to remember, Steve. Okay, well, anyway, okay, yeah, there, there's, there, those are two different things to me. Right, like, totally. Okay, now, now, yeah, so it all that's your preference, right? That's gonna that's gonna come back yeah. to your preference because all of those really high quality bubble full melt like live rosin oh yeah live rosin is really good like oh yeah. like there's nothing like those real volatile terpenes at the very beginning when you hit those i mean there it's yeah wow yeah it awakes you yeah yeah then you know so but but it just made me really curious because i was thinking that because so far I just love the rosins and I just want to find something else also that I really love. So, oh, oh boy. So if I tried some really good bubble hash, some, you know, that I'm going to like that even. So I, I just got excited about that. So oh, yeah, I, I love to try the variety. I agree. I agree with you. Have you, <laughs> so have you had bubble rosin? Uh, yes, but only, only once. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if it was really good quality or what, you know, I'm not, cause I really don't know anything about bubble hash. I know, I don't know how to make it. I don't know any bags. I mean, I don't own any bags. I've never well, done, I don't even I'm, have any friends that do it. So. I'm planning on doing that this year. That's fresh that's frozen. What, that's what Steve likes to do. Fresh frozen when you yeah. do the keep and then make his rosin out of just keep. And it, yeah. So if you had any of Steve's, I'm sure it wasn't mediocre from what I hear. I was gonna say, I, when I think of really good solving this, I think of, the regenerative conference in Vancouver yeah. with wow. Los, Los Gardens and North Pacific Northwest Roots. Shout out to Kaya. The, yeah, just was at Pacific Northwest Roots this weekend, hitting off their hash in the booth at Hemp Fest. Yeah. <laughs> Such good hash, miss. Such good. Yep. I just was hanging out with Kaya. Funny you mentioned that. He is such an awesome guy. Oh my gosh. And their hash is amazing. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, the best, the best. 
So um, we had a, a question from chat on uh, what kind of cooling systems are we using in the greenhouse? We're primarily using wet walls. Um, we have a little bit of a higher water table and a, not a whole lot of soil. We're pretty close to the ground or where the rock is because we're right near basically on our what where there used to be a river to, a bed before they did a bunch of water rearranging in the 1938 out here. So we don't have much soil. So we can't, there's not very good for doing like a geothermal. Um, we'd have to almost build the ground up in order to put a geothermal there, which would be a little bit odd. So, you know, the property just wasn't set up for that. Plus we, it would flood pretty regularly. Um, the sump house is already pretty, you know, below the normal ground level. And we end up having, we have a sump pump in the sump house to keep that from, from flooding when it rains. So, um, you know, that, you know, that's probably the, the only downside to being where we're at, but we're main, mainly using a wet wall. Um, and that's going to, you know, take 10, 15, maybe, you know, 10 to 15 degrees off of the outside temperature, depending on, on how bad it is. And then we'll keep the air moving inside and, and make sure that the, um, VPD stays within range, you know, venting it off and, and whatnot, uh, as needed. And then, in, um, you know, running dehumidifiers in the wintertime. During the summer, it's not so much a big deal. Um, the warmer temperatures, it doesn't really matter. It's the cold temps and high humidity that gets you into trouble. That's what's going to breed mold. Um, you know, I've run, you know, pretty, pretty high VPDs, um, you know, completely through and had no, you know, no fungal issues at all, as long as the, uh, um, you know, you're maintaining your proper microbial sprays and everything else. So something to be noted for you people out there that are listening, uh, wet walls are great and used pretty much all across the board in, in a lot of greenhouses, commercial greenhouses, but like in the south or in real humid areas, it's even though they're used, you have to really stay on top of the powdery mildew and possible mold. So it's really not as good to use in a really high humidity area, but in the Midwest or out West where you got drier heat, and you don't have as high humidity, they're awesome. And it's very similar to what you would use evaporative coolers like you use in your house out in Texas or Oklahoma, where they don't really have an air conditioner. It wet wall is basically an evaporative cooler that takes up the whole wall of one side of your greenhouse. So just keep in mind, if you look into that, make sure you're not, not uh, where your humidity is not in 60 to 80 degrees every day, or it's really not a good idea. Yeah, I won't, won't do much of a, you know, the more humid it is, the less of a temperature difference it'll give you. Um, yeah. We had a, a, but you know, ideally you try to run geo combo of geothermal and solar or, or uh, geothermal and then, you know, wet wall is going to get you for most people within range. Um, now, if you're doing super hot areas now, if I was like in Texas and, you know, if we were going to do, uh, you know, if I had my way with the design where we have here, I'd set the greenhouses up the way we did in Jamaica where you do a split level. So at the top, instead of it being a complete hoop, one half of the hoop is much higher than the other. And there's a, a door that you can open at the top of that. And that dumps a lot of the hot air out of there and allows that air to flow up and out so that you don't end up cooking your plants. And it's much more efficient for, for real hot areas. You know, if you're anywhere within the equatorial zones um, or anything like that, that really is the design you want to go for. That's going to be the, the most cost effective, um, you know, for, for the average grower. Um, you know, you can get into fancier stuff, but that, you know, you want high, ideally high ceilings and then that split roof is going to be the best, um, you know, in that type of scenario. One way I do that, Steve, of that when I used to do my peppers for Whole Foods, you talked about a split roof. It's similar. It's not the same exact thing. But what I did was I ran, you know, I like to run about 60% shade cloth in the summer and all. 
but what I did was I bought two of uh, the 30 and a 35. And what I did was I put above my eight foot racks that hold my wires because I grow vertically, you know, and I hold my produce up so it grows it does nothing lays down what i did was i put shade cloth over top of that so it gave me an area up in the top that collected the heat big time and like you said you could dump it off by having a vent up there or some kind of exhaust fans but even if you put it if you can't afford to do that or you've already got something built you could actually put shade cloth above your plants above anywhere that they'd actually grow to and uh, most of your heat will stay up above that and you could maybe run a little fan on the end and that works too to suck that that really hot air out and and it's 15 20 degrees under the shade cloth you can stick your you can stand there and stick your hand over it i don't know if you can oh you can sit there and stick your hand over the shade cloth and feel it would just boil be boiling up there and you're walking around being fairly comfortable under the indoor shade cloth so you can split up your shade cloth like that to make your kind of a faux um bottom the extra roof or ceiling kind of thing sorry We lose Steve. No, but you lost me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I totally was like talking to people in chat. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> okay, well, see, so so you look at the bill of my cap. It's like the top of a greenhouse, right? So you got your shade. No, no, cloth. no. I get it, Roger. Like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm good. Oh. No, no, no. I'm like, I just had like zoned out for a minute. Is all I was saying. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Sorry, mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> so for any of you out there that maybe didn't understand, so you put your one shade cloth on the top, and then you put one here, like horizontal, like this, above your eight foot level, you know, and then your plants can grow underneath, and you'll and you'll have that hot air trapped up here yeah. in the top of the greenhouse, and then you can let it. Basically, Steve was saying you know, do that, that split and then have all this hot air that you can suck out or let out through passive vents. But there's just different little tricks. It all depends on what you got and how much you can afford in a lot of ways. But yeah. Yeah. That's I good. Know, I was cool. having some mic issues. My cat ran across and unplugged. My <laughs> so I had to plug my mic back in. Um, we had another question from chat. Can hemp be high in CBN? <coughs> well, CBN is actually um, when THC gets oxidized and breaks down. So you would actually just want to grow high THC cultivars and then, you know, either grow them, harvest them late, or you could, <coughs> you could, um, uh, sorry, I took a dab too while I was trying to find the plug for the USB. Um, the other thing you could do is uh, expose that cannabis material to uh, ozone or other oxid oxidizers, you know, um, peroxide, um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't recommend peroxide, but you could do it. An ozonator is probably going to be the best bet and just lock it in there for an hour or two. Um, and that's definitely going to, you know, rapidly oxidize all that THC into CBN. Alternatively, uh, alternatively I've also heard of, tea of hemp people using um, UVA, UVA light. Uh, in order to break down their THC um, and um, make sure that they pass for THC testing because many states don't test for CBN. Um, it, it, they don't count that against your THC limit. They only count active THCA and THC. So if you oxidize it all, um, you can actually take a, a product that's hot and actually make it pass most states testing um, simply by just using UVA or ozone um, depending on what you're doing and what it is that you're trying to extract. Just remember that if you do use ozone, it's going to obliterate your terpenes. Um, you know, just be aware of that. 
I would also be mindful uh, of CBN. You know, you can also take it and cook. You can make like we've talked about before on how to do a long-term coconut oil uh, in previous episodes, doing coconut oil mixes and, and cooking it down for a long time to break down the CBN. Um, be careful with CBN. CBN is, is a really awesome thing, um, you know, for helping and healing people. But, you know, the, the potential for abuse is definitely there because it does, you know, it can make you unconscious pretty well. Um, and that scares me. And it's why we I've never worked with anybody that did a product for it. I think a lot of the cannabis industry is, you know, a little bit afraid of CBN products and putting anything out. So just remember, so, you are taking quite a bit but, of liability if you put something out. Question for you. Do you think there'd be something then that could counteract that, like kind of THC kind of counteract CBD in a, a little bit, maybe? Just a thought? Well, CBD... I don't know. I'm sure CBD would definitely help, but I don't know for a fact if it would, you know, I don't know. Okay. I was just curious if you knew that's anything a, on that's that. A Mike, that's a Mike West question or uh, okay. like, uh, he's the first person that comes to mind. Maybe um, Kevin McKernan would know. I'm trying to think who else have we had on the show that might know the answer to that question. Well, uh, and part of that is that the people, you know, this is all new science, really. I mean, it's really pretty new. So it's going to come. It's probably coming, Tara. I mean, I think we're there. Like Mike West. Yeah, I agree. If it was going to be somebody, Mike West would be probably one of the people. But yeah, I, I think that it's more that it's a new science and there's still answers to be had, you know, questions that can't be answered yet, really, you know, like that. Yeah, I see a question in chat. Um, uh, brewing out mammoth pea. I have no experience with that. So actually, there was who was it? Somebody did a really good write up on on brewing mammoth pea. I don't remember who it was. He said he saw something from Tad Hussey. Was that yeah, it? Maybe it was Tad Hussey. Somebody did a bunch of stuff with mammoth pea recently in the last year where they brewed it up. And I think Mammoth P is a memory serves me right. And I, we should have asked Colin while he was on the show like a week or two ago. Um, uh, is it, I think it's five microbes. And when they did the replicating, they were able to replicate four of the five, but the fifth one is being, you know, pretty obviously being replicated else, you know, some other way. Um, but you can definitely increase the population of some of it by just using a little alfalfa meal and putting it into your compost tea um, I'm also a huge, huge, huge fan of mammoth pea or other phosphorus chelating microbes, preferably mammoth pea, just because um, it's super ultra fish safe. You can actually have mammoth pea be over 10% of the fish tank's water and the fish will survive, which is completely insane. I've done that test. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so the, the uh, phosphate, uh, I like to put the mammoth pea or things like recharge or, you know, the, the soil... Uh, microbials, put them in your mineralization tanks, put them in your, you know, swirl filters, put your, them in your media beds. You know, that's where you want to get that, you know, living microbial community. And remember, 70% of soil microbes can live in, a, in aquatic environments, assuming they have high enough oxygen levels. So, you know, you can, you can benefit from a lot of those and from all the uniquely microbial ones. That's why, you know, you might want to also, you know, considering what kind of setup, you know, maybe not in a commercial, but certainly in a home setting, you know, introducing some aquatic plants to your system just to bring in some more, you know, uh, mineralizing microbes that, you know, from aquatic aquariums, you know, there's thousands of microbes and no one's even doing any research on those. Some of those could be incredibly useful for so both soil and aquatic, you know, cannabis producers. And no one's even looking at any of those as a possible, you know, treasure trove. And you have 
you know, whole industry built around aquatic plant production and, and no one's even looking at the microbes there. They're all, you know, it's, it's quite different. So, uh, some people, okay. Um, look at another questions here in chat. What other, uh, what other topics have you been on your mind there? Uh, Mr. Green jeans. I know you always have stuff. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ah, um, mm, trying to think. Uh, so we had a question from chat. If I have fish poop for my friend's nice saltwater fish tank and coral tank, is it usable? If so, do I need to treat it? He's just throwing it away now, and I hate to see it go to waste. Maybe compost it? Um, you know, you might be able to, I, I wouldn't use it for my uh, aquaponics, but you could absolutely use that. Um, you know how like uh, uh, Chris Trump, they, they do the salt water. Uh, they cut the salt water down with some fresh water and they do the, the uh, for the KNF stuff. You could use that as your seawater for your KNF. Um, you know, it'd be extra mineral rich, a little extra nitrogen and stuff. Um, that would be the only thing I could comes to mind that would still be, you know, plant usable. Just be mindful, you know, if you don't want to put a ton of sodium on your plants and that is very high in sodium. I uh, guess a little bit of salt is okay, right? I mean, that's what, oh, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. You get you your, a little bit of sodium. You know? Right. And uh, what about, uh, we, we always are using, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Epsom salts for, for the content of the, uh, magnesium the, Magnesium, exactly. Magnesium and I magnesium think salt. magnesium sulfate, M MgSO4. Right. right, and we so here in Los Angeles, I think we have around three thousand ppm uh, water hardness, which I mean three thousand three hundred, <laughs> and, and I think that I think that about fifty percent of that is is uh, halide or is that type of salt, uh, right? Is is probably it's probably about half half, uh, uh, you know, uh, calcium and about, you know, more or less, I mean, I know it's a bunch of different things, but probably about 50% salt and about 50% calcium. So I don't know, people that live in kind of hard water areas may already be getting a certain amount of that, of those nutrients anyways. It's funny because people are always using, uh, you know, RO systems and everything and taking all that stuff out. So they basically got a, a you know, rainwater, and then uh, going around and adding it all back again, which is kind of silly. Wouldn't it be smarter to sort of calculate what you've got? And anyway, well, so, so the Sorry. skimmer water from saltwater aquariums would also be useful for that saltwater mix. It's very high in organic proteins. It would be very good for for that CANF style of application for seawater. Um, absolutely. Um, we also had so the guy that asked the CBN question said thanks. I was just thinking it would make a good sedative. Yeah, um, yeah. I, again, it's, it's so dangerous and could really give the cannabis industry a bad name. You know, we don't want to be known as the next GHB. Don't be that guy that makes that product because we'll all hunt you down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the problem. Is, uh, yeah. it, it can be, you know, we, we a couple of times had a couple, couple of other lab people, we, we, we made some isolate in the in a of cbn in a sublingual form in a rapid uptake and uh i think i woke up first after about a day and change 
And the last person woke up after about three full days. So again, if you're in a hospital setting with a prescription and a doctor is giving that to you to go into surgery or come out of surgery and to be chill, like I think that could be a miracle drug. You have no effect on respiratory rate, no effect on kidney, no effect on liver. It would actually be way better than most other anesthesias that would have that level of, of narcotic effect. Absolutely. Without the side effects with most other medication. Um, with the exception of maybe some SSRIs and a few others. So, you know, medically, it, it would be a really good thing. But again, it's one of those things that's so dangerous that really should be in a prescription only thing. Or, you know, again, just be really careful if you're considering making that a product. It really is one of the handful of things out there that scares the shit out of me at night sometimes that someone's going to go out there and make and then give us all a bad name over. Because again, the cannabis industry is an up of an uphill battle especially with education, then that would be a really difficult thing to start explaining to people. And I wanted to jump in and go back to where, before that question, Doug was bringing it, brought up RO. And the question was about, well, isn't it, I think Doug, the answer to the question for everybody, and we kind of keep preaching this is any water you ever use, you should have tested for what's in it. Now I would be more apt to use RO if I had city water. Uh, you know, that could have all kind of bad stuff in it, as opposed to my well water, where you know that's probably pretty good. But still, ultimately, before you build your solution or whatever you're going to add in to your to your solution or however you're going to grow or your total inputs that you're giving to your soil or your aquaponics or your hydroponic system, you need to know what's in the water. And then you don't have there may be things you don't have to add anymore. You know, so like if you've got iron. If you got three percent of iron all right in there, then you don't need to add any more iron to your water. But if you get city water, there's all kind of crap in that. We all know that there's all kind. I don't even know how it gets in there, but there's you know they got they found all kinds of drugs and and even opioids and stuff in city water. So the bottom line to that question you about the RO and about taking it out and adding it back is knowing what's in it. So you if you're going to grow seriously, you've got to test your water, and that's how you can using have an informed decision in order to what to add further to your system to make you have a good balance of the minerals that are necessary to grow successfully oh yeah you should you should be absolutely the way we talked about you know we've talked in other episodes on a, on a larger scale you should be sending water out every two to four weeks for testing so you know what's going on in the system um, but you should also be testing your input water and, and let me tell you why and we actually I just brought this up on somebody else's show or podcast or I don't know. I just did a recording with somebody recently. I'm trying to, I don't remember who it was, um, but we talked about this issue on, so you can have radical changes in pH between, you know, depending on time of year. I know when I used to live in Colorado, they'd switch which reservoirs uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the city water department was pulling from. Uh, you know, on the given month as the water would come down or the snow melt would change or maybe in a drought year, they're going to pull from a whole different area um, just to supply the water. You know, depending on where you live, you can have, you know, a one point pH change in a couple of hours, uh, you know, and that can be really shocking to your plants and everything else. So um, this is the kind of stuff you have to really be careful on and, um, you know, make sure that you're addressing uh, so that, you know, you're, um, uh, otherwise you're going to end up with surprises, especially with aquaponics. I mean, quickest way to kill your fish is a quick pH or temperature swing. So those are really yep. 
On that note, can I ask you a question, Steve? Because I don't remember if we clarified this one, Roger. Hey, Roger, shout out to the other Roger. Um, at True Aquaponics, right, in Texas. Um, Y'all were talking about setting up this testing facility. Now, you haven't done that yet, right? This is something in the future. And what do you, what kind of timeline? Because I already know a bunch of people that wish they had a place to send it to like that, like you were talking. I mean, there's testing facilities like MMI and all. But we're doing the what, testing facility. Do what? We don't, we don't have a testing facility. Well, I thought you were going to build a thing where people could send their samples to you out there in, de in Texas and to Roger, and he was going to analyze it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. Yes, we're working on that, on the details, and uh, we'll have a little bit more information on that in the next week, you know, next few weeks. Okay. Okay. Uh, making a lot of progress on that. We've been working hard on it. Um, and uh, yeah, we were uh, uh, just getting close to launching soon, and we'll have more information on this, you know, in the very near future. We're real excited about it. I think it's going to help um, really uh, simplify things, you know, be a service where anyone can send off uh, their water sample, we'll sign up for the service to get water samples tested. You'll have your water samples tested and then we'll go ahead and um, send you nutrients that are just enough to balance your system uh, uh, for one flat price and we'll do all the math, all the science. Uh, no one at your farm needs to know any chemistry. All you gotta do is, uh, you know, send out your water, we send you the solution. You tear it open on the schedule that we tell you to tear them open on. You know they're numbered one, two, three, four, five, and it makes it simple for you. Um, you can't screw it up. All you do is follow the directions, and and it's just that simple. And it takes away the most complicated part of, of aquaponics. And we'll be doing everything from home backyard all the way up to commercial customers, uh, and everything in between. Um, you know, it just depends on you know the gallonage is what determines the price because that's what determines our price. So. Um, but yeah. I think it really helps solve, you know, pretty much the, the most difficult aspect of aquaponics um, for both the vegetable guys and the cannabis guys. Um, you know, basically, we'll send you a survey asking you all about your system, you know, and then uh, we'll, we'll custom formulate what it is that you need uh, around those specifications. Uh, so it's really going to help uh, help a lot of people do a lot better with their aquaponics. Well, we're looking forward to being one of y'all's first customers whenever you get it going. I can tell you that we we're going to because we're going to be doing two or three different methods of growing around a dip, three different locations. And one of them's a you know, climate controlled aquaponics dual root zone. And so I don't see any reason why not to try. What about a guy like say if we're doing natural farming, though, we want to have our water tested and we do know a little chemistry and we got some stuff where you can already use in the natural farming. But you can tell us maybe what we're missing and then we could just get maybe certain minerals at a certain rate that we could put in our natural farming. Is that going to work? You did did uh, did you not me understand me? Or? Oh no, sorry about that. I was muted. Um, this is just the first part. We'll have some more advanced stuff later on. Um, I'm not going to get into some of the other things that we'll yeah. be adding on yet because I don't yeah. want to. Okay. For the horse, but we have some other cool stuff that we're working on partnerships with to make sure that we can deliver other services that people would need if they were running that type of business. Um, you know, all around. All right. Well, cool. I just wanted to clarify that because I, I know it was basically, it's basically for your starter or even your advanced uh, aquaponic system growers, uh, you know, like you said, from home to super commercial. But, uh, you know, I'm also worried. I was just, I, I had the impression that you could still get your water tested without actually buying, say, 
you know, a package of minerals or stuff that you could. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. You could still do that as well. But, uh, you know, this is primarily for people that are trying to just, they don't want to think about it. They just want the answer. You know, they have their system. They want it to work. You know, they don't need to waste a bunch of time on it. And a lot of farms, you know, keeping these minerals on hand, doing the math on that, training somebody up, that's a lot of work for, for these smaller farms. They don't have time for that. That's a big expense. Uh, we can, you know, take away that whole portion of it, you know, for one flat monthly fee and, um, and uh, you know, really make it easy for those guys so that they don't need to keep that stuff on hand and that it's always coming, you know, on a regular schedule and uh, yeah. they don't really have to think about it. You know, it just shows up and, and everything's there when they need it ahead of time. Oh, so it's actually going to be subscription based in a way. Yeah. Potentially, it, it can be so. Yeah, that's really nice. I didn't, I didn't quite catch. I mean, I heard that, but I'm glad I asked the question because I think that explained it uh, real in a concise, short summary that what people can look forward to in that. Because I know we're all excited about that and want to see all well, you guys succeed. That's the hardest, you know. Really, what's the hardest part about aquaponics is understanding the chemistry and making the stuff, everything and all that. You know, we'll send you. You know, some we have some of the microbes. We're working on getting more microbes on the onto there. Uh, into the mix and then also ha uh, you'll have your minerals all balanced out so that you know assuming you're doing everything else right and you maintain your fish um, you know you're not going to overdose anything all you have to do is tear open the packet not think about it and you'll have your solution yeah because i've got to say that's actually the hardest thing in aquaponics is not killing your fish yeah yep <laughs> all right moving on yep yep so uh um, we had another question. What are your thoughts on bead filters? Well, I think bead filters are useful if you're doing just DWC. You know, if you're doing DWC only, I could see them being useful. Um, if you are doing any amount of, and I highly suggest, you know, almost always doing a hybrid system with, you know, at least 10% to 30% of the system's volume being media beds um, to get adequate mineralization, you'll get much better mineralization, um, even with offline mineralization um, and then uh, you'll have a better you don't need the bead filter what do you need a bead filter for when you have you know two square miles of square footage in your in your media bed you know you have 10 times that the media bed the meat the bead filter is going to add what maybe another one to two percent of square footage compared to what that media bed you know, eight by two media bed is you know if you actually look at the square footage of the surface area they don't add that much compared to actual media beds. Um, so it just depends on the setup. Now for commercial cannabis stuff, we're doing you know, dual root zone pots across the whole thing. Every single bed's 50, basically, you know, 50% filled with media um, because the bottom half of the pots are all media. So uh, we have a lot of surface area. We have no need for bead filters. Um, we actually were running a bead filter in the nursery for a while from AST. Um, we kind of got sick of some of the weird mineral headaches it was giving us and gave up and went back to doing things the way we used to been doing them. Everything has been rocking it. Um, you can check that out over at Cold Creek Farms. Um, shout out to Mason who works very hard over there, uh, crushing it over there at the other nursery. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so we actually ended up disconnecting it and everything's been running so much better. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, and it, it looks it looks much better over there uh, without it. So. And the minerals are much, you know, everything's just better. So, um, but the other thing with the bead filters is that they can break down and pulverize and, and, and turn fish waste into a fine silt. 
that ends up everywhere in the system that can become quite a quite a bitch to get back out. Um, and they're just they're oversold. They they make some really crazy claims. They don't deliver, and unless you're doing like a lab style setting, you know they they're they you don't see them running on big commercial operations. Um, I know you know three separate people that have disconnected them, and and I know a lot of them are sized horribly wrong. Um, you have the the bead filter from. Um, um, oh, Nelson and Paid, uh, they have one, what is it, their ZDEP, I think it is, and that's totally not sized right at all compared to some of the systems that they have it, but whatever, I guess it's there for, I don't know why, but again, there's, there's, it's kind of like a gimmicky thing, again, it's great for aquaculture, if you have no other, um, you know, ways of nitrification, um, uh, absolutely that like again dwc only for lettuce or nfts yeah man you're gonna need one you know for that absolutely uh, and i would highly recommend one in that scenario um, but if you're doing you know anything with media beds or um you know anything with dual root zone pods where you have media in the bottom half it's a waste of time and money because you have more square footage in that other area usually 10 to 100 to 1,000 times more square footage than any bead filter, um, so. 710 asks what a bead filter is, and then there's one more question after that. Sure, uh, bead filter uh, is a moving media bed reactor. They have like a bunch of plastic beads that flow around. Um, they're, it's kind of like a more modern version of like a, a bio ball. Uh, yeah i think i've seen them aren't they like those little they're like floating devices in the water right and they kind of yeah. cut up the do they cut up the particles is that what they do well no it's designed just to be a surface area for nitrifying bacteria but again that that's really awesome if you don't have other surface areas like in a dwc or an nft uh type setup but if you're doing um you know a uh, a media bed type setup you know, you're going to have uh, those, you know, 10 times, 100 times, or 1,000 times more square foot, you know, square feet for microbes to be available in your media beds or bottom half of your dual root zone pots than you ever will, you know, and, and you'd have to add, you know, a, a media bed reactor, a moving media bed reactor that was, you know, the size of a tractor trailer before it would matter um, when you add up the square footage. Oh, okay. I get it. Okay, so... Mr. Greenjeans, we were saying that someone had a question about the CBD thing online or something. Steve, you see that in chat there? Yeah, it was just just pasted it. Uh, what is what does he say? Uh, the CBD is determined in veg topic. Wants to ask Roger, is something Roger was talking about or something like that? <laughs> Sorry, just trying to relate. Which Roger? I, I think he meant you. Uh, this, Ask Roger, the CBD is determined in veg topic. Oh, 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 Steve, that's what we talked about earlier. That must be Ryan. That's probably yeah. Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ryan Wim. That's my partner. That's the guy that got me to help. He got me into the hemp. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. Um, yeah, Steve, He well, we talked about this earlier, but, you know, he wanted to get it recorded for reference. He, his question was, how is it? We were talking back on the show about how you would enhance the CBD during veg. And rather than me say it, I'll let you tell it because you probably tell it better than me. And then he had a second question of, is there any way to tell when you've got CBD at the peak, at its peak, or without 
having it tested. And I, I told him I thought you would have to always have it tested, but perhaps you have a, an alternative. So that's the two part A and part B of his question. Oh, okay. So there's there is a two. Okay, so we'll do a couple different things because it's two different questions. Yeah. So um, I guess first off, the the veg stuff with CBD. So yes, you. So if you're doing lighting, make sure that you have equal lighting and veg and flower, uh, and then you want to have more of a blue spectrum. You want uh, and we talked about this when, um, and I believe it was episode 140 with uh, Wade Laughter. Um, I talked about having the more blue spectrum in the lights, uh, you know, making doing more of a veg light uh, if you're doing LEDs or or uh, halides instead of sodiums if you're doing traditional uh, HIDs, and that can actually really increase your CBD uh, production. And then making sure you have no UVA or UVB in your lights uh, at all in flower or in veg um, is also a big thing. If you do have it, it, it coming out of your bulbs. Um, what you can do is you can get uh, glass filters for your HIDs and put them underneath of them. Um, and and uh, that can absolutely uh, mitigate that if you're doing fixtures or, you know, LEDs. Um, the only ones I know of that have UV on them are um, black dogs. So um, you guys, we've already done episodes on those lights. Um, so um, yeah, so that was, so CBD, Again, if you have UV exposure on it, that's going to increase the um, conversion uh, and or not conversion, but the, the expression of THC over CBD uh, in the plant. So uh, with the peak now, if you have like a lot of plant material and some beakers, you could do the old ethanol separation and try and get a quick idea on that. But I'd, I would imagine at this point, there's probably some home testers that you could get. Um, I know Kevin McKernan was talking about one that tells you if it's a you know, class one, class two, class three, class four, you can get for home equipment as well. Um, I know there was just a lab company that tests your THC and CBD sensitivity. I posted up on the Facebook group, but that was pretty trippy. Um, for CBD and THC synthase, or how quickly you process it, I guess. Um, so they can tell you your tolerance, which I think is kind of goofy, but whatever. Um, but yeah, so hopefully CBD is determined in veg. No, CBD is not determined in veg, but if you have higher lights and you're more blue spectrum, you will have better CBD, you will have better production on CBD cultivars, particularly bluer. So like, for example, like equatorial regions are gonna crush it on THC, but um, uh, areas that are gonna go from uh, summer to winter and have like, like Canada or Argentina or Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, Russia, um, those are all gonna be killer for CBD production because that blue light, those plants in an outdoor under the sun are gonna have better production um, uh, potential under that blue or light spectrum at a higher angle than they will at the equator where they're going to have much better THC production. And uh, who was telling us about it? And I don't remember if that was at 420 or if that was on the show. I think it was Breeder Steve when he was on the show, wasn't it? Was that just me at, at dinner? <laughs> I got to go back. No, to okay, the so Breeder Steve was one that talked about it and then it was also the other one. Um, Oh my God, you just said it. Yeah, we always do this. Kevin McKernan? Yes. Kevin. 
Okay. No, yep. no, no, no. Um, yeah. um, 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 Wade. Wade, Wade also talked about it, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wade Laughter. He's the one who was talking. Wade. Yes, yes, yes. That's who it was. Um, wow, I was paying attention. Yeah, I'm just joking. Oh, really? <laughs> well, aren't quite so stunned, right? Um, See, I do listen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It's also awesome. by genetics. Um, listen to the Kevin McKernan episode. He goes really in depth on the genetics on that particular problem uh, in that episode if you want to re-educate yourself on that. Um, also, he, his Instagram feeds just got to be one of the most interesting ones in the cannabis industry, hands down. If you haven't checked him out, Kevin McKernan uh, on the Kevin McKernan episode is really good. Uh, one last thing on that question that we talked about earlier that you didn't exactly address it, but you brought up the UV. So if you're in a greenhouse where you're not using lights, then you would use poly that has UV protection that, that blocks out the UV rays so that you would could. And if you're in a real hot area, we usually do double poly where we have an IR plastic underneath the UV plastic. So we hold heat in in the winter. If you don't have that issue where you have to worry about holding heat in in the winter, you could actually go with two levels and still use your double poly for insulation, but you'd have two levels of plastic or poly, a six mil poly that has UV, a UV rating, and that would help you do the same thing if you're just, and then the other thing, of course, you can, the, the lights come in also in a light depth situation where you would use the blue spectrum with no UV. So that's just to add to what we had talked earlier, and thanks, Steve, and yeah, great shout out. Ryan. Ryan is the owner of uh, the Carolina Canna Connection, and that's K-A-N-E-H. He's proud of he did a Latin word instead of the the, um, the regular C-A-N-N-A. And um, yeah, welcome to chat, Ryan. Thanks for being here. You could ask, so you could ask your question. You get answered. Did any, anybody ask him if he got his answer? So he's good. Because yeah. I can't be in chat. I my my. So what other, any any interesting traits you've run into with your stuff lately, uh, Mr. Green Jeans, or this year with your your outdoor run? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just watching the differences between, you know, when, when everything is flowering, I think is the really, you know, thing I didn't used to pay attention to so much years ago. And now looking at, you know, seeing uh, the, you know, it's amazing. I mean, how, how much genetics has, uh, you know, has a stay in that, you know, that some plants, and it, this is kind of, I'm beginning to think that, you know, and I learned, I kind of started learning this maybe from, from Frenchie, because Frenchie said to me, oh, you can't, you can't grow, you can't breed outdoor cannabis indoors, you know, and I'm like, well, I can, you know. <laughs> But, but then I thought about what he said, and I realized that actually a lot of people have been probably unsuccessful at breeding outdoor cannabis indoors. And then that made me think, well, why, why have a lot of the strains and things that I've created indoors, why have they worked well outdoors? What's the reason for that? And I, I, I really think the, 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 the simple reason is, is that I use a pretty short... Um, we, me and Roger were talking about this one night after, after we were on. Uh, I use a, I use a reasonable length of day day length for vegging time. I used a, a 16, 16 hour uh, on and eight hours off, and 
you know, there isn't, there aren't a lot of places in the United States where, like, what's the longest day if you go way the hell up to the top there? It's, it isn't even that much longer than, it's only about 16 and a half hours or something like that. I mean, so if you're using, if you're breeding cannabis indoors and you're using a 20 hour day length cycle, I mean, what do you plan? Are you, you plan your stuff is going to grow at the North Pole or what? You know, <laughs> that's where a good the, point too. You're like in the where South. do we get, where do we get a day length like that? You know, at what, where in the world? So, because <clears throat> like in the Southeast, you're like your longest days, right? Just a little over 14 hours. So yeah. everything that grows in zone eight, like zone seven through nine, is yeah. kind of sort of fourteen ten. So I totally, totally. grows at fourteen ten and had a lot of success because, uh, like, what what we talk about a lot too that we talk the same conversations we were having. The dark zone, the dark period is, and Steve preaches this too. The dark period is the the, the period is what counts, right? Yeah, that's what counts. Not how many hours yeah. you give it light. Exactly, exactly. You give it. Yep. Yeah. And, and the idea that plants don't grow at night, I mean, come on, haven't you ever got up in the morning and, and looked at, the, and, you know, looked at them and said, Whoa, you guys really cruised overnight. You know, you can tell, you can see that they, you know, or, or, or so anyway, I, I, I yeah. The, I mean, the, the, in the lower so many myths. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. In the lower 48, if you're even with Seattle, you're at 16 hours. If you're even with like Salem, Oregon, Detroit, Michigan, or Portland, Maine, you're around 15 and a half on the longest day. Um, Denver and NorCal and Philadelphia are all about the same at 15 hours on the longest day. Uh, SoCal is at 14 and a half along, along with Phoenix and Savannah and look at what else. And then, you know, if you're as far south as, um, you know, southern Florida or, or southern Texas, you're at 14. So that's the answer to that one. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, it it's just uh, the long date. I'm not even sure. And I know I, I'm, I'm sort of digressing a little here, but I but I'm not even sure that long veg times indoors is so much uh, better. You know, I've messed around with it a lot over the years. I guess not recently, but long time ago, you know, I, I probably fooled around with trying to use longer day cycles and things like that. And I, I think that I kept coming to the conclusion that uh, the healthier the plants are, the more rest they need at nighttime. When they're, when they're very healthy and they're really growing fast, you really can't um, you can't cheat them on their on their sleep. <laughs> they need their nighttime, you know. I think they really use it. So and and so and also to anyone out there starting to get into breeding cannabis, uh, you know, all other things considered, if I was you and you're doing it indoors, I would try to try to get into using a much shorter, you know, try the sixteen eight or whatever. Um, and I think you'll find that there's quite a bit of genetics already out there that doesn't even like. I have, I've discovered plants that don't like 16, that want to flower, you know, at 16 hours. You know what, and give, give them 17 and they won't. You know, what's up with that? Come on, get out of my garden. Sorry, what are you going to say, Steve? I was just going to say to support what you were saying. Um, the, uh, I've also noticed that plants that get fusarium will finish real quickly as soon as they flip. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you noticed that as well? 
sometimes it can see yeah them. yes yeah you know and that's another thing is that flowering is not just one thing it's uh, uh like like um uh, marty mentioned the other night too it's not just how fast you finish flowering but what is the on how quick is the onset of flowering uh for example and you know uh, so there's a lot of um, I'm sort of blanking on, I had thought of some other aspects along there, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables in flowering. It isn't just kind of one thing, <laughs> you know? So, so, and also I, I don't really agree either that there's a sort of a certain day length that triggers flowering. Pla uh, plants also pay attention to the changing of, of the day length, I, I believe. They don't necessarily only say, okay, I'm waiting until the day gets to a certain length and then I'll start flowering. It's not like that. I think they're also watching the rate of change as well and maybe even making a plan. Nah, maybe they have brains. Maybe they're a lot smarter than we think, you know? <laughs> as long as you break that night, that'll keep them from going into flower. But yep. um, the, uh, you can absolutely speed them up by giving them a longer nighttime and a colder night. Longer nighttime. Definitely, yeah. More dark yes. period, yeah. Past 12, 12, like a, like a, you know, yeah. 11, 13, or even if you need to finish something, you can drop down to 10, 14. Yeah. And also, uh, how about this? I'm, I'm, I'm maybe beginning to think that plants uh, may grow faster, literally, uh, in the sense because closer to the flowering, uh, closer to the fl uh, flowering period uh, time, because as everybody's noticed, when uh, they flip from whatever their veg cycle is over to flowering, uh, we we watch this stretch period. We say, "Oh, well, how much do the plants stretch when you when you when you flip them?" Um, and what what is that stretch? You know, <laughs> and and why? You know, kind of why are they doing that? Well. Uh, it, it seems to me that I've seen genetics that uh, stay more compact and grow less quickly at higher hours. But if the hours get lower down under 15 hours, 14 hours, that's going to kick them into a sort of a more of a uh, uh, faster growing of vegetation. It's going to uh, stimulate them to grow more vegetatively. Whereas if they're getting the really long you know, and I don't know why that is. Maybe that's to do with. I got an idea. Yeah. Well, the, the idea of first of all, and we talked to the same conversation. The reasoning behind it, it, what it is, is that at dark, at the dark period, closer to 12, 12 is the 12 to 14 hours of light and 10 to 12 hours of darkness. The root zone grows the most vigorously. So the shorter the photo period, the stronger the root zone is growing more, you know, getting more hybrid, you know, like vigorous. And that therefore the plant can can grow, will grow, seem to grow faster and bigger. And also that same thing is stretching. Makes sense. If you keep it yeah. in the lower photo periods, your plant's kind of stretching the whole time and growing like it the whole time. So when you yes. just reduce, when you just lower it a couple hours, it won't really stretch. It's from dropping yes. people that want to use 20 hours and 24 hours. Then they yes. dump, they dump 12, 12 on that thing. And, and yeah. the, then the roots go nuts, you know, and it just shoots everywhere, you know. So if you yeah. do a smaller 15 or 
a 15.9 or a 16.8 like uh, uh, Mr. Green just was talking about, you'll you'll have a still have good strong root production. It'll be kind of a medium. But don't be afraid. Yeah. It's like you got all oh, your whole life. I've done it. I've had a whole bunch of friends do it. You can grow at 14.10 all through veg. And you can go to 12-12, you'll have minimal stretching, and you'll have a nice yield and very healthy plants because they love the dark period when they do what they do in the dark. And Yeah, yeah. so sorry to interrupt, but I, no. I knew that's what you were searching for, I thought. so. Exactly. And, and, and because basically also because I think hopefully we're all starting to get more into breeding cannabis. I'm not, I'm not the, you know, kids don't try this at home guy. I'm the I'm the kids. Please try this at home. Let's uh, let's get a hand. Let's all pitch in together, um, you know, so that as more and more people start breeding cannabis, you know, I think uh, and because we're all going to be growing outdoors a lot more this we're all coming out of the closet. This whole, you know, 30 years of continuously growing in indoors is going to kind of end. I mean, but, you know, we'll be breeding, breeding cannabis indoors is cool. It's good because we can control the day length and we can go through a couple generations in a year. I think breeders will stay indoors, but everybody's going to be moving outdoors. And so, you know, we need to uh, be responsible with our breeding and breed stuff that will translate to outdoors. You know, this is what I learned from Frenchie is that, yeah, a lot of mistakes have been made, you know, and, uh, I just happened to luck, luckily not make that mistake, you know, and he made me, he made me uh, question, you know, think to look at what I did and to think about why, yeah. why that is. And I'm, I'm not positive, but I really think that's a big part of it. You know, I, I'm generally a brain. Out, I, I, I generally like to. The genetics for outdoor, like if you want to do outdoor seeds, I love that. I mean, that, that's I never heard anybody say it like that. But if you want to breed outdoor seeds, breed the photo periods that are indigenous. Like, I don't think of light period as indigenous. It's probably the wrong word, but at least close to close. Yeah, to try it, to don't. match what's going to be outdoors and you're, where you're going to grow those seeds. Yeah, yes. or anybody. It, everybody's yeah. going to have a shorter photo period outside than they yes. do on an indoor grow, unless they're purposely yes. growing shorter. Yeah. And ultimately it would, it would be nice to, to, and not even very complicated. I think I have a friend on IC mag, who's an electrical engineer who explained to me how to do it, how to make a timer that, uh, you know, where I could calculate and I could uh, duplicate the, the, the curve, you know, the change, the light day change curve in some given area. And that could be very useful for expert, you know, for people who want to mess around with breeding, uh, because that will allow uh, some early selections, which is always a wonderful thing with cannabis. If you can uh, narrow down your your field a little bit in the in early on, without having to wait until flowered and testing and smoking all the ladies, which is oh my god, such a terrible and burdensome job. But you know we have to do it. And uh, but. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so terrible. I know. That sucks. But but no, it it is like it is great to be able to do early selections as well. I you know it is the burden of the cannabis breeder to have to make all your selections at the end. But what I'm saying is that if you had something where you could calculate day length change like that, um, you could you could cut out huge swaths early on. By seeing out, you know, by seeing which ones are doing well with the increasing day length, which guys are putting on size, because you know maybe you're in Vancouver and you've got a short season, you've only got enough time. 
<laughs> Those guys already did it. They already did it with the Island Sweet Skunk. Oh, it's so wonderful. <laughs> right, Steve? Oh, geez. They did that with without even the the without the, the benefits of modern science. They were that just was, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> our friend Mr. Breeder Steve. Sweet Breeder Steve. Very yeah, good. So good job he did. Try that up there when we were at the 420 event, Steve. Yes, we smoked. Yeah. With, with Peter Steve. Steve. You <laughs> did. Oh my. Then we went and drank yeah. a bunch of his wine, which was yeah. even better. <laughs> and I'm oh supposed to God. be actually going up there in the next few weeks to go to his winery, dude. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And I left him my rosin, remember, and gave him that dabbing unit. <laughs> Man, uh, I've been uh, Island sweets got totally made me jealous as soon as I, uh, you know, as I I grew those and I was like, oh my god! It smelled delicious. Wow, it was like, yeah, it was. I was jealous, and I rarely get jealous. <laughs> I was like, well, come with me. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a road trip, Mister Green. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Already. Let's do it. I have a Mr. Green jeans here in the beginning of October. Um, yeah. We'll be out at the, hold on, make sure I get the name of the conference right. So, California Cannabis Business Conference um, on, oh, shoot. It's October 8th and 9th uh, in Long Beach. So, excellent. That, I will be out there speaking. I'll be speaking with uh, the gentleman from California Turbine. Um, hold on, I want to get his name right. Uh, anyways, the fine gentleman. Awesome. Okay, Mark Rouse from California Micro Turbine. So, he's a super cool dude, um, you know, bringing about regenerative energy solutions for people um, i think it's super awesome so i'll be speaking on a panel with him on uh you know different ways people are using water and cannabis production so uh yeah and then i'll also be speaking at the um oh he, we're gonna get them on here soon the aquaponics association they have a conference coming up in september and I will be speaking on the last day. I'm giving a, a talk on uh, pest management and probiotics um, in uh, use in aquaponics. And then also speaking on the panel on aquaponic cannabis production along with some other people. Uh, here it is, cannabis program. Sorry, I should have had this stuff ready. I was hoping to have them on tonight, but uh, we'll get them on again soon. I'll throw in something real quick since you brought up the turbine thing. Uh, me and a couple of other guys are forming a partnership. I've been this has been a pet project of mine for years, but I hadn't been able to find the right guy. But right now, we, I, I met a fella uh, that lives up in um, the, in the Midwest in Illinois, and uh, he builds big giant wind turbines. And we're working on 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 designing a system that would be affordable 
and like a kit that you could build to basically run your greenhouse off of wind turbines if you've got the necessary wind. You know, it's a wooden way. It's not going to work if you don't have wind. But as opposed to solar, we're we're trying to do that, which would fit right in the regenerative type thing. So thanks for the cue. And I just wanted to throw that in there. There's nothing to tell you much yet, except we've got a lot of it figured out. But there's still some other things you got to figure out. Then you got to find reliable, you know, um, components. Putting out fruits conference is September 20th through 22nd uh, in Kentucky. And I will pull up the thing here. Damn it. All right. Um, I will be speaking on Sunday. And uh, I go on at 10.15. And then the last one finishes up at... Um, 11.45, I think it is, or 11. So, yeah, be fun. Cool. We can, we hopefully get in a, we can hang out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you're speaking a lot, huh, Steve? <laughs> yeah, I have some other speaking stuff that I'm uh, announcing yet. Well, that's cool, man. I'm glad you're getting real busy to do that again. It's that kind of, it's kind of wild. It's getting to the, like, the end of some growers, outdoor growers. Oh, years. Okay. That's going to free you up, huh? have some other cool stuff going on here before too long too yeah i'm excited about it's an exciting time in this cannabis industry right now all things are over once they once they um, legalized hemp across the board pretty much uh, at least for you to get a license wow. to, be able to grow it that's just changed everything i mean everywhere i go there's hemp and smokable hemp in the stores Yep. Um, I, I came to Tennessee this week and I went to a liquor store and they got this whole rack of stuff up there. And I'm like, wow, you know, it's funny how everybody sort of had to wait, but some people didn't have to wait. And it's already as soon as it was, they were able to sell it. I mean, they flooded the freaking market with it. So I'm curious to see how that goes, you know, and some of it I've heard taste like uh, what Josh and Leighton and we're all talking about, and Kai, uh, I think not Kai, but uh, Shango, trying to make the smokable hemp where it tastes like you're smoking like Island Sweet Skunk, but it's CBD, it's hemp CBD, but you get that same enjoyment of taste. And there's, I actually talked to somebody here in Tennessee the other day and they've already got, they were talking about, they smoking it, smelling it like they said, it's, it tastes like, you know, well, they always like to confer, they go the really high dollar fire or loud from uh, out West. You know, so it's pretty interesting that not only is there smokable hemp being sold, but smokable hemp that tastes great and it's a great experience. So, you know, it's just amazing to me. I just, I'll tell you what, we're, I guess uh, I'm lucky to have lived this long and I get to be, you know, finally be part of it. And, and, I, and I'm so jealous of you guys getting to go to all them speaking engagements in places on the West Coast, I tell you. But I love you. I love y'all. Jealousy. Speaking of jealousy, Hemp Fest was amazing. My first hemp fest in Seattle had an amazing time. Good for you. It was like, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about it. What is hemp fest all about? Yeah. Okay, so there was like big people there, like big people. Like I had no idea who these people were. And one person I just <laughs> figured out who he was, um, Eddie Lepp. Uh, was I was introduced to him and I didn't know who he was and I asked him if he wanted to have a dab so he came he went out back and we had a dab with my super lemon haze and I'm I'm sitting there hanging out with him and and JR Token had just asked about me because he was talking to the x people 
And he said, oh yeah, my friend Tara Lee had introduced me to this, the x the the mini that I love to dab on. And uh, he says, yeah, she's out back right now. They're out dabbing. So they came around back and he knew who Eddie was and filled me all in. I had no clue. Yeah, it was kind of, it was amazing though. Oh my God, it was such an amazing time. I tried to take as much video as I could. I was so exhausted from walking up and down. If you ever get to go there, make sure you wear walking shoes or like plan on walking like forever. It's huge. It's yeah, it was a blast. Cool. Glad you enjoyed it. We still got one coming up here. I don't know. I got it. We I asked actually asked Ryan today what day because he's in. He's already been in the hemp organizations over here. So, but we got our we got our first hemp festival coming up, and I think and I I think it. I'm pretty sure it hadn't happened yet. I've been so busy I can't keep up with stuff. That's the thing. Yeah. There's so many things going on every day. You you know, and yeah. people, different people. Yeah, it's like wow. What am I gonna do? Well. I wanted to ask you a question, Tara, since we don't really have any uh, particular way to go. Um, I think I've asked you this before, but I know Josh has always been bragging about the, uh, the tea brewers, uh, the big uh, containers that he got from your husband and all. And I think I asked you, but I don't remember. And, I, and, and we're going to be in the market soon, so I needed to check with this. Might as well ask and give you all a plug real quick. Is there, does he have any warehouse-like places to ship from on the, towards the East Coast? Is like, is it possible you to buy those to big brewers? You, huh? you have to talk to him. It all depends on where they're made at and, and all that. We buy them direct from the manufacturer. So wherever. Oh, that's what you told me. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so it might be, I might we, be just as well. Honestly, but like we, we normally deal in like huge, big, big quantities. And I've just asked my husband to give the cannabis community a discount. I have asked him to pass on the discount and savings okay. to you guys. So that's that it's like he's doing it, you know, as a favor for me and, and the cannabis community because he believes in what we're doing and, and everything about it. So, yeah. So now, dude, is that some information you want to give everybody or is it how do I get that information so I can talk to him? Oh, you can just contact him um, at, at work at, uh, at, or you can email him at, at uh, Phil, P-H-I-L at F is in Frank, C is in Charlie wllc.com okay and, and he'll get right back to you he's really good at getting back with people he, he doesn't leave people hanging awesome because there's a bunch of farmers around here too it's, it, you know when you see what josh set up you go i want that you know and everybody looks at that they're gonna go i want that so if y'all can put that, that link also into the that spraying that spraying unit that josh has my husband yeah. actually found a better price way better way that. better yeah. So if so, you could put that link in the description of tonight's show, that'd be great. If y'all, if Steve, Steve, if you could do us a favor, do that. So, to build diatomaceous earth, mangle the soil, Mike Webb microbes in soil if tip uh, top trust. Um, I wouldn't say mangle it. It's definitely not going to help. Um, you know, I, I to me, DE is it doesn't do anything. It doesn't have a big enough impact to really warrant IPM use. Um, you never want to put it on your plant material because it's silica. Um, you don't want to smoke that. Um, so, I mean, it's cool if you want to put it in your labs to make like a high silica labs. Um, you could totally do that. But outside of that, like, 
it, uh, it won't dissolve though. It'll it'll settle in the bottom. That's one thing. And to just to address this real quick, something I learned because I was into DE for a long time, and Steve and I have different opinions, and that's okay because we all have one. Um, but DE, if you do use it on soil, you can't mix it in your soil. It'll kill your worms or any living, you know, so it'll kill you. You won't be out of living soil. The one thing that was recommended and could be done is if you wanted to, because you had wanted to. Now, I think it can be used for pest management. Steve doesn't think it can be used for pest management, but okay, that's okay. Uh, you have to kind of do things sometimes for yourself. But I agree with Steve for the most part on that. I have uses for it. But if you do want to use it on soil, you dust the top of your soil, let the worms work it into the soil, and that won't kill your worms. If you mix up soil and put DE in it, it's going to it's going to scratch all the bugs and all the worms, and they're all going to be dead. So just wanted to throw that in there, if, you know. It kills big stuff. It just kills big. It has to be something large, like an insect, really. I don't, it probably isn't harmful for microbes. It, Any, it, anything with a soft skeleton, exoskeleton, that it'll scratch mm -hmm. it, and the, the way it kills them is they dehydrate. That's how it kills now, them. Yeah. Now, here's one thing. You can take and put a tablespoon of DE food grade. Don't put the freaking swimming pool shit in there. I don't, you know, I don't even know. I'd probably kill you. Um, use food grade codex DE. You can put a tablespoon in yogurt and eat it. It will get rid of all the freaking parasites in your intestines and all. You can give it to your dog, put it in your dog food. It'll kill all the parasites, you know, and rid your, rid your uh, animals and yourself. So, and it gives you energy because it's full of minerals, even though maybe it won't have an impact. It's kind of like one of the, in the 80s, they had all these milkshakes you could eat instead of eating food. And, you know, it'd give you all these minerals. So you felt high as hell just off all the great minerals you were having. Because when I was using DE for a while, uh, my batch got 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 messed up outside. So I never bought any more. But I was using it, uh, you know, cup three or four times a week. I was eating it in yogurt or something. And I did feed it to my dogs. And it will rid your system of parasites. So that's one of the good positive things but that really has nothing to do with with uh plant you know plant production so, but it will that's I mean, that's well that's all i got to say about that it's pretty much you know so this question came up a bunch of times with susan wainwright evans every time she says it doesn't work i agree with her it, it hasn't made any noticeable impact in, in insect populations um maybe my earthworms um but other than that it just doesn't have an impact on stuff um, on the diet, you say the diatomaceous earth? Yeah. Okay, so I only have one feedback, and that's on my roses. Um, my It was the first time that I had used diatomaceous earth, and my husband got me this thing where it, like, sprays, like, powdery stuff. It's how you, you pump it up, and it, like, sprays powdery. I don't totally yeah. get it. It's called a garden duster, Tara. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Whatever that thing is called. I got one. Yeah. yeah, so I put it in that and I went over and I did it all over my roses because I just had these aphids that were just all over it. And actually, it worked super, super well, but it was like messy and powdery and white powder was everywhere. So I noticed the other, the following year, instead okay. I just bought ladybugs. It was much easier. And then the following year, I also just hosed them off. So. I've also heard All of people of taking. I've also heard of people taking nodos and spraying that on their insects. Um, the caffeine is a, a killer, as well. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Wow. I, I I don't remember if it was my grandmother. Somebody when I was a kid used to do it, and it worked. 
pretty well on Japanese beetles, but I don't, you know, I don't know if that actually works. I just know that when they spread it on it, they weren't there anymore. <laughs> Whether or not it was, you know, because it did anything to them or not. Um, okay, so um, someone said, you know, having a problem for uh, um, 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 grasshoppers. They, when I had a problem with grasshoppers, it was, I, I just had, it was because I had undisturbed soil. And it seemed like when I let my chickens go out there and scratch that around, it seemed like it really helped. But if you don't have chickens, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, helps a lot. Um, what else can he use for grasshoppers, Steve? Oh, grasshoppers. So yeah. grasshoppers, you need bigger predators. So that's when you're going to want to praying mantises or um, uh, nematodes will work if they get across the, the soil. Um, assassin bugs. Um, I know that um, nine times out of 10, when we find something that's munching on a, uh, a grasshopper or caterpillar, it's an assassin bug or a spider in a spider web, you know, or, or you know, one, or we have lots of toads. We see lots of toads, I, I, at least three or four toads every day walking around uh, down in the garden, you know, just doing their thing. Um, you know, uh, but you can get those those both the assassin bugs and the praying mantises through most of your you know general you know pest management stuff the assassin bugs in particular if you can get the winged ones um just remember all assassin bugs can bite you um they have a pretty nasty little bite but again they're super chill most of them will like you know try to go somewhere else when you when you go near them they'll, they'll kind of flip to the other side of the leaf or try to get away from you they you know they're not aggressive. It's not like a, um, you know, some spiders are super hyper aggressive and they'll, you know, try to get you. They, they don't do that. Um, you know, they're they're super lax. You know, they're kind of like little stoners. They're just like, oh man, just just leave me alone, man. Oh, I just thought of a question on the the cat or not caliper the the leaf hopper the or the grasshopper thing. Is there maybe a herb that would deter them? Like something you could plant in there? Just an idea. Mm, not that I can think of. I mean, mostly you're going to... They kind of like everything, huh? Well, grasshoppers eat everything. Yeah. yeah. Like something. a catfish, huh? And you have... <laughs> I'll post a picture sometime in the near future, but uh, we, we had a, a grasshopper egg that we missed that got hatched out on a leaf, and there was... like it, they, They'd only really gotten to one leaf, and you could see it was about half eaten, but it was covered in newborn little yellow grasshoppers, and I took a picture, and I want to put it and just put nightmare fuel on it. Oh. <laughs> oh, but wait, 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 wait. You said on Instagram you had a way to get rid of grasshoppers. I saw that post today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, here we go. Here we go. The guys down in the field cut the, cut the head off the grasshopper and put it on a little pike to warn the other grasshoppers not to come into the garden. Okay. Grass, grasshopper yeah. head on a stake. That it's was like, hilarious. Your post like totally Dracula, made yeah. we, we have a lot of grass and other stuff, like just whatever. The, like I think there's some natural datura and some other just native plants that we have in the rows between the, the, the plants. And the grasshoppers seem to munch on that. And I don't really see them on the, like once in a while, I'll have a few leaves that are chewed on, but they're not, you know, actively feeding on it. Most of it's just keeping, you know, scouting for eggs making sure we don't have caterpillar eggs on there, um, you know, cause that, that can be a problem, but um, we haven't had, you know, I could count on one hand, the number of egg sacs I've found in, in a couple of weeks. So it's not, it hasn't been a huge deal. They, I see so many assassin bugs. I would probably, or 
you know, the, the wheel bugs, the big giant native assassin bugs, we have, you know, we still probably see two to three dozen a day uh, across those plants. And they're just, they're plowing away at those guys. I mean, that's all they feed on. That's their favorite food. Um, you know, they have their real large prey item, them and the caterpillars. So they just go through and just annihilate those guys. And, you know, yeah, they can, they have a pretty nasty sting. That's, you know, more on par with a scorpion than a, than a bee. Um, but um, it's a bite actually, but um, as long as you don't try to pick them up, you know, they're perfectly fine. I've even like picked leaves off directly next to them and they're, you know, they're not going to try and stab you. Just don't pick them up. You know, just be mindful when you're, you're grabbing leaves. That's all. Um, but that, to be honest with you, almost every time, oh, the robber fly, I got a really cool picture I posted the other day of the robber fly um, that we found in the garden that was munching away on a grasshopper as well. They look like enormous mosquitoes from hell, um, but they are uh, super, super, super beneficial. Um, they cruise around your garden, just picking off any large wing insects, uh, you know, those large, big green beetles you get in Oklahoma and Texas and other parts of the, the central country. Um, you know, I don't know what they're called, but they're huge. And they're Are they called scarabs? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that those assassin bugs seem to, you know, keep them off the plants pretty well. I never see them on a plant that has one of those on it. You know, <laughs> but those, those guys don't seem to bother the cannabis. I, I see them on it, but I've never seen one feed on it. Um, uh, the biggest issue, what was the other one? There was one that was kind of, oh, the squash bugs. I see lots of squash bugs. Like, like squash bugs, they'll feed on a, a little tiny area and then they, 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 you know, piss off. They don't really stay on the plant, but it looks okay. like you could damage and that can be kind of hard to. Squash bugs? Good. Is that what you said? Squash bugs? Yeah, they look like a yellow. Yeah, okay. So I had a really bad time with them uh, a few years back when I, I have spaghetti squash and I really like spaghetti squash and um, they would always attack it and I had to go out and hand pick the dumb things off and my neighbors they use spray so and yep. then let them breed unfortunately so I always have a problem every year with them so this last year I actually grew chamomile around there and they did not bother them but I also grew them up a fence so mm -hmm. that I also keep everything off the ground and grow all that type of thing up a fence so that's what I have done to alleviate with other problems not cannabis related obviously but and okay, so he said he was talking leaf hoppers, not grasshoppers. I'm sorry, I misunderstood the question. Leaf hoppers. So leaf hoppers would be the mid range. So I would probably go with aureus. Uh, aureus would be a really good one to hit with leaf hoppers. Um, and then lacewings, lacewing larvae will pick off the younger ones. Um, uh, assassin bugs, they would also fall into that size range to pick off those guys. Um, all of those. Uh, the one that scares the shit out of me and we found three of them i found three of them in, in across the couple of grows i've worked in so far in oklahoma is the there's a corn borer that sometimes will attack cannabis and it'll just lay a little egg and it lays a maggot that goes into the stem and starts chewing its way through from the inside and if you can find it if you can tell that the you can look for the end of the branches because they'll lay it right up by the tip where the new growth is because it's easier for them to, to penetrate and then it'll um, it'll eat its way through that head, and you'll notice that like one of the ends will be kind of dying. Um, I, I've noticed on the plants that I found it, it's usually like a, a new growth tip that's kind of dying off for for kind of an unknown reason. 
and I flip it over and you can see where a part of it's chewed apart. And if I break it open or snap the branch off and split it open, there's a little maggot inside. And I've seen three of those. That's probably the one that scares the shit out of me because if you had a whole bunch of those, like, fuck if I know what you do at that point, you're pretty much screwed. Um, you know, there's no way you could do much about that. But um, other than that, I'm seeing a ton of septoria across. Like, I see a ton of posts everywhere from South Carolina, Tennessee, um, Kansas, um, Arkansas, Missouri, CBD growers um, getting septoria. Um, it's because we've had so much rain and people not having very good, healthy soils. You have a lot of farmers that have a lot of people that are throwing their hemp farms uh, uh, or hemp fields in for the first time are doing so on fields that were treated with petrochemicals for the last whoever knows how many years, right? So the exactly there's no soil microbiology there. So as soon as they have excess rain or whatever, and they put the uh, the plants on there, um, you know, there's no established mycorrhizal fungi. There's no trichoderma. There's no bacillus species. There's no any of the food web that's going to be there to help, you know, eat things like septoria and eat things like you know, some of the other issues that people are seeing, but septoria probably being the widest one that I've seen posted online um, for, for hemp specific field growers um, that are that are struggling, that don't understand what's going on. And a lot of times, you know, if you hit that field with a pretty good dose of probiotics, you're, you're, you're going to be able to hit that in, in, you know, one to three treatments, depending on what you're doing and, and actually have it, you know, be pretty, not, not cured, but you can certainly knock it back significantly and stop it from you know, progressing so much on the plants. Um, I know one of the areas that we were treating, um, uh, it worked extremely well um, with, with one of the mixes we did with the Bacillus subtilis, Bacillus uh, pomilus, and Streptomyces, and um, oh, what the hell is the third one? There was a third one. I'll think of it, guys. Um, give me a minute. Um, and then Trichoderma uh, at a later separate date. Um, you know, hitting it with one and then the other. What on earth is going on? We're looking at someone's thing here. Yeah, I just my screen just flipped out too. On that note, I want to, well, what were you figuring that out real quick? And that's interesting that you bring that up because the farm that I've been asked to, to work at, um, we they they were a deer corn field. And they sprayed stuff probably, you know, we can pretty much guarantee they used petrochemicals to keep, even though they were a deer corn, because it was primarily hunting, you know, like a, there's a lot of places where they have plantations where people have are members of a club and go hunting. But the good part about it, they haven't, they haven't grown out there in like four or five years. Um, so I feel like we got a much better chance of having good, good soil by adding all this and, and, and you know, Ryan's been real great about adding all that stuff and getting it going. And like I said, we're, you know, not, we're not trying to do all the acreage at one time, doing one acre right now. We're doing one acre and doing it. That's about half full. But I think that's a good point. You know, like just the same thing as I say, pe some people are going out there in the same instance you're talking about. And they're saying they're, they're, they're they think they're going to grow corn. You know, they think they're going to put hemp out there and grow it like corn and make a bunch of money. And that's not true. Did we go away? No. Uh, I got all kinds of pop-ups on my screen, man. I don't know what to do. I have to fix it so that I can make Did I miss something up? 
I was like fooling around with my menu. I might have screwed everything up. Well, I got something. Got a, I got a yellow with an exclamation. But I can't read it. But good. Go. I think we got the land bucket. No, no. Do we have, do we have video guys? Okay, I'm go. I'm looking. I'm trying to work mine too. All right, I got the video back. I'm back. You just have to delete the, close the one window, and then hit the little button that you hit to turn your, you know. We're good. Mr. Yep. Green's sharing his screen with everyone. I was trying to fix that. So, so we're, yeah, we're cool. That's cool. Did that, that all happen? Was, that, that, was, was that just because I was messing around with my thing? Yeah. No. Oh, <laughs> oops. That's Sorry. Right. I wanted to also mention Marty and I will be doing a class, a four-day in-person commercial class. Um, you can check it out at apmjclass.com. That's apmjclass.com. Um, and this will be a four-day commercial aquaponics cannabis class at Marty's New Farm. Uh, we're going to we're working on trying to find someone that can do video for us so we can do a, a live stream and stuff and possibly even a recorded version. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Sure a typo <laughs> on the page, but. Uh, uh, yeah, so that'll be on October 17th through 20th in Gold Hill, uh, Oregon. You fly into Medford uh, if you're interested in uh, where you fly into. You can check that out on the website again, apmjclass.com. Uh, Marty and I put a lot of time and effort into that class. And it's an awesome class. Very fast paced, very easy to keep up with, and using Steve using his slideshow. You really catch. It's like one of the best classes you could take anywhere, Rick. No doubt. Yep. And if you come in person, you get the booklet that goes with it. Um, I'm I'm hoping to have my final book done by the end of the year, beginning of next year. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll get a booklet with all the classes and the deck and everything um, if you show up. And uh, we'll have a lot of hands-on stuff there. Uh, you know, doing all different types of stuff at Marty's farm. He's got a new farm. He's also a lot of fun seeing all the different things he's got going on. I know he's got some systems that are up and running, some of them that are under construction. He's got all different kinds of stuff from different levels of, of put togetherness. It'll be a really great time to see a, a farm, you know, mid construction and uh, a really great experience uh, over there in Oregon. So I look forward to seeing uh, everybody out there. If you're interested in that, again, apmjclass.com. Alrighty. Um, so is that going to be streamed? I, I think I just heard you're not going to stream that one? We're going we're gonna to try. I'm working on seeing if I can find someone that can, uh, that can stream it for us and, and do the camera work for us. So that's really the, the obstacle at the moment. Okay. Right. So, but I'm, we're working on solutions for that. But we have a bunch of requests for people that want to attend the four-day class that can't attend it in person because of distance. So I think we're going to try and do it a, a different way. Plus, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, so, what uh, what else is uh, getting to be about that time? Um, you guys have anything else before we wrap up? I wanted to show you something and tell, I want to show you something real quick. All right. Now I've got my, uh, my, uh, my video camera is made by zoom. It's a zoom Q4. It's, it's like the, one of the best audio, like small, it's like a GoPro, but with high, way higher audio 
And um, and I also bought a mixer board, and there you're able to sync the video with your mix and all, and you can record on SD-RAM card and then master everything in a DAW, which is a digital audio workshop. So check this out. I bought a case. Now, I've been wondering this since you guys started using Zoom, and I'm getting ready to, when I get back, I'm going to get my own subscription for my own uses with our company. But check this out if you can see this. Do you see this case? Can you see that? Yeah. Is that Zoom, the same Zoom logo as what we're on? No. It looks like it. No. No? No, it's a different company. Okay, because it's blue and it looks, all right, to me, it looks a lot like the same. I was just wondering if this company, since they're into the audio video and, and live streaming, if this same company that I, that I use, I already use their stuff, uh, their, their hardware, that uh, I just wondered, I'm going to have to look into that. What, one last announcement, too. Um, anybody else that will be out at the uh, Oklahoma High Times Cannabis Cup? Um, a lot of people are headed out there, so we're going to go out, hang out on Saturday, maybe a little bit on Sunday, and uh, see you guys there. So if you guys are out that way, I know a lot of people are going to be out there from Colorado and stuff, so I'm looking forward to that. I know a couple of my Cali homies will be out there, so that'll be cool. Looking to, to get a little time outside of Tulsa. It'd be nice. And, um, yeah. So, uh, why don't you guys tell everybody how to find you? What about you, uh, Green Jeans? Oh, Mr. Green Jeans Garden, greenjeansgarden.com. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Um, if I said anything that was super confusing, I, I confused myself. Sorry about that. Um, just email me. Yeah. yeah, just email me. I, I love to correspond. I, I type like crazy, so it doesn't take any time out of my day. Thanks a lot. Love being here. Greenjeansgarden.com. Thanks, Steve. Uh, what about you, Roger? Hey, you can uh, find me at uh, ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. If any of y'all want to come and uh, share, you know, and, and start your own, um, you know, mentoring kind of a thread or topic on the forum, you're welcome to just at just tag me at Latewood when you get when you get your membership, and I'll I'll do anything I can to assist you with that and. And although I'm not posting much, but I will be very soon because we got a lot of stuff we're taking pictures of and, and we're building. And so it's going to be kind of cool um, where I'll be able to share some of the way we're building stuff here. And uh, that, But I'm late, Roger Latewood at Instagram. And the best way to contact me, though, if you actually want to contact me or share something with me, is Roger Latewood at Facebook yeah, right now. And uh, pretty soon we've already got a, we've already got the domain. But the Carolina Canna connection, K-A-N-E-H Canna, uh, Carolina Canna connection, we'll have a website. And uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do as far as social media. I don't know if we're going to have a forum or, you know, what we're going to do, but that'll be coming soon. And a shout out to Will. Come home tomorrow, brother. Yeah, hope you get well, Will. Uh, what about you, Tara? You can find me at Tara Lee Live on YouTube and also Instagram. And you can check out my latest videos at HempFest if you go to my channel. Awesome. And you guys can find me at Popebox, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all the different places. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, APMJClass.com if you want to check out the four-day class with Marty and I. Alrighty, thanks a lot, and we'll catch you guys again on Thursday. Cheers.